0: Chapter 5, we are in a year-long series on discipleship. We are in the Sermon on the Mount this semester. We'll be here pretty much all semester until it's actually warm outside. Right now, we're in the Beatitudes. We're going through them uh, one Beatitude at a time, and this week we're going to be talking about blessed are the uh, pure in heart, for they shall see God. But one of the things that, uh, that I'm encouraging us to do is to memorize the Beatitudes, Last week, what we did is we read the Scripture out loud together, and we're going to do that again this Sunday. So we're trying to do kind of a low-pressure memorization. However, after we go through it the first time, we're going to go through it a second time, and it'll be a little different, but you'll see it on the screen. But if you would read the Scripture with me out loud this morning as we prepare to study God's Word. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now we're going to go back through, and we're going to read one more time. If We go to that next screen. But there's a few blanks in there, and we're only doing up to verse 7, which was last week. So we're not asking you to have memorized what you haven't even studied yet, but we're going to try it again. Uh, from verse 3 through verse 7. So let's try that. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the... Ah, uh-huh, I just want to see who was listening last week. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Outstanding. Ivan Turgenev, who is, excuse me, Turgenev, who was a 19th century Russian novelist, uh, he wrote a, a book called Fathers and Sons, which was a pretty amazing book, wrote uh, this short poem one time. It says this. I do not know what the heart of a bad man is like, but I do know what the heart of a good man is like, and it is terrible. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to study your word. We thank you that you give us the opportunity to to worship you not only with our emotions, but with our minds, with our, with our intellect, and with our reason. Father, none of us wants to uh, look at our hearts and see what's really there because it, it can be quite ugly at times. It's not as bad as it possibly could be in many ways. Uh, there, are, there are things about us that still very much resemble our Creator, but Lord, there is not a person in this room. Who hasn't struggled with purity of heart this week, who has not thought things or acted on on things that were in our hearts that displeased you and, and more than likely hurt somebody else. So Father, we pray for your Spirit to open our hearts to what you want us to know this morning. We pray that you would show us the pathway to purity of heart. Jesus wouldn't have taught this if it were impossible for us to grow in this area. So we pray, Lord, that you would speak your truth into our lives. Father, I pray that you would forgive me for my sin, my lack of purity of heart. It is clear that this is a passage that I need to listen to, that I need to to sit at your feet and be taught. So I pray, Lord, you wouldn't let me stand in the way of what you want us to understand this morning and apply to our lives. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would come and that you would teach us. In Christ's name. Amen. What does it mean to be uh, pure of heart? That's the question this morning. Uh, Just as a very brief reminder, when Jesus says, blessed are the, and then fill in the blank, this morning happens to be blessed are the pure in heart. What he's saying is that, that God's congratulatory favor rests upon this type of attitude, this type of action. So as disciples of Jesus grow in their faith, Okay, we got to make sure we get the order right. As we grow in our faith, we look more like Jesus. We don't look more like Jesus because we try harder than anybody else. We don't look more like Jesus because we have a laundry list of do's and don'ts, and we follow them more keenly than anyone else. We look like Jesus more and more when we grow in our faith in him and our trust of him. So Jesus says if you want to understand discipleship, you understand it in the context of what God sees as favorable in my life and therefore in the lives of my disciples. This morning we come to one that is, uh, I, and I say this you know, fairly often, uh, I'm kind of welcoming you into my pain. Each week as I study for a sermon, it speaks to me directly about the issues of my own life, and so i like to invite you into that. But this week was, was maybe the, the, the knife cut a little bit deeper this week. As I looked at purity of heart, I realized that, that I have a long way to go In this area of my life. So, what I want to do this morning is try to examine this passage in the context of the the two different meanings of the word purity. Jesus is is giving us a couple of different things to wrestle with this morning and to understand, and then to see how that plays out in our lives and what is the end result. So, there, there are two parts of purity the first one is the moral part of purity, and the second one is the single mindedness of purity. But let's talk for a few minutes about the moral aspect of purity. When you tend to think about uh, the pure in heart, when you read this verse, at least I'll say when I read this verse, I tend to think of people who behave properly, people whose hearts are right. Therefore, when I look at their lives, um, they're doing the right things. And I go very quickly to the action that results from a pure heart. But I think what Jesus is teaching here is that we need to back up a couple steps and we need to look very carefully at our heart and what really lies therein and what needs to change or what needs to grow in our lives because the word that Jesus used for purity in the Greek has a couple of different meanings. And in one in particular, it, means, it has the notion of clean water. So when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and he asks her for, for a drink of water, he's asking her for a drink of clean water. He's asking her for, for something that is pure. The idea is that there are no contaminants in it. It could also be used for metals that have been, have been heated up and the alloys have all been burned away. It could also stand for, for grain that has been winnowed, uh, the chaff has been gotten rid of and what, what's left is the kernel that is, that is good for nourishment, is good for eating. The idea here is that there are no impurities in the heart. If you go to Psalm 24, David asks the, the question, who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? In other words, who's worthy? Who has the right to actually stand before God? He who has, a, who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Now, if that's the case, I don't want to be offensive, but nobody in this room can ascend to the hill of the Lord. There isn't any person in this room that meets this standard who has a clean, clean hands, which means the actions of my life have never been offensive or hurtful to anyone, that my heart is actually focused and, and pure in the sense that it is single-minded towards God, and there's nothing immoral in it whatsoever, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, who, who always lives their life based on the truth that God gives us, and, and never shades the truth at all in any level whatsoever. <laughs> I don't get to go to the holy hill of the Lord. And I don't, with all due respect, think you do either. But the good news this morning, before we get into what God wants to do in our hearts, is the encouraging reminder that Jesus was pure in heart for you and for me. That Jesus is the definition of these verses. That he lived this life before God in order that he could give himself for us. So when Jesus says, follow me, he, he really means it. He's really calling us to trust in him by faith and allow his character to transform our lives so that there are less uh, impure particles in our heart. See, a change in our heart impacts our deepest devotions. i want to take you to Matthew chapter 23 for just a moment. And Matthew, uh, that should actually say 23, that's a misprint. Jesus is talking to the the Pharisees, and he's correcting them in several areas where they've gotten it wrong. And in this particular area, Jesus says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean the inside of the cup and plate, that the outside may also be clean. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had gotten very comfortable with immorality in their lives, but they just didn't let anybody see it. They looked very good on the outside. If you saw them in public, if you saw them in in a worship in in the temple, if you saw them in the marketplace, you would say, you know, there goes the the, the folks who are really holy. (laughs) There goes the the ones who really understand and know God and, and are following God. And Jesus says, guys, you got a problem because I actually can see into your hearts. I can see into that which is your deepest devotion. And what I see is immorality. What I see is a passion for self-satisfaction. You see, immorality in, in its most fundamental form means that I am out for what will make me feel good about me. It puts me on the throne of my life. Immorality in its purest form is not just sensual sin, although it can lead to that. Immorality is saying that I am God and God isn't. And I'm going to live that way so that whatever is going to make me feel good is that which I'm after. So if it's money, then I'm going to be greedy. If it's sex, then then I'm going to be, I'm going to be immoral. I'm not going to be faithful to any relationship in my life. If it it means I objectify others for my pleasure, then so be it. And this is very subtle, friends. It it, it takes root in our lives in ways that we don't even necessarily recognize it. Cindy said to me, probably she said it several times, but she said it as recently as about three months ago. She said, you know you're an emotional eater, don't you? And I said, well, you know, like, yeah, but when I'm at Citizen Kane's and I'm crying, those are tears of joy when they put that steak in front of me. It's just so happy to see that steak, and we're going to be such good friends. I'm not, I'm not sad. I'm really happy. She goes, no. Then she says, you're an idiot, but that's not a good word to use, so don't, but it's accurate. She says, when you're upset, you go for comfort food. When, when something's bothering you, she goes, I can tell when you're stressed out. Whether you say anything or not, I just watch what you do in the kitchen. Now, you're saying, Tom, what does that have to do with pure in heart? Well, what that means is if I'm going to really be honest and I'm really going to examine my life down to its core, and I really want to follow Jesus in this text, I have to acknowledge that I'm making myself feel good instead of going him for his grace and for his fulfillment in my life. Instead of saying, Lord Jesus, I'm of worth because you died on the cross for me, I'm of worth because I can go get some Oreo cookies. (laughs) How shallow is that? And yet, that's what Jesus is after when he says, you guys are ignoring the inside of the cup. Now, I'm not saying every time you go in the kitchen, you should stop to think whether you're an immoral person or not. Please don't hear that. Plenty of you have great eating habits. We have all kinds of areas in our lives where this applies, but the point is, am I really willing to look into my heart? Am I really willing to look at the motives of my heart and see that that moral purity really is seeing God first in everything? in everything. His glory is my chief concern. Above all else, I want to honor and glorify him. Moral purity does not begin, therefore, with a list of do's and don'ts or a behavioral pattern in your life. It eventually gets to outward actions. Jesus makes it very clear. He says, when when you are transformed by me, when when the inside gets clean, guess what? The outside gets clean, too. You'll begin to do the right things. You'll begin to act in a way that glorifies God, but it begins as a matter of the heart. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts. So moral purity, the moral aspect of purity begins and grows Through my trusting God. Look at what Paul says. He's writing to Titus. Titus is a young pastor. And and Titus is the letter, the the book of Titus in the New Testament is one of the very last books Paul has written. So he's been a pastor and a church planter and evangelist for a long, long time, for for several decades. And and he's getting pretty close towards the end of his life. And the next generation of leaders is taking over in the church. And Titus is one of those guys. And this is what he writes to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared, and look at what the first thing he mentioned is, bringing salvation for all people. So Paul focuses on the fact that God has brought salvation, that God is transforming our hearts, right, okay, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Do you see how it flows naturally? Three different times in that passage, Paul says, God changes your heart and it leads you to a different lifestyle. God changes your heart, and it leads you to a different lifestyle. Friends, our moral compass as disciples of Jesus is a compass that begins with faith, with trusting in him, with longing for his glory to be seen in my life. But there's more than just a moral aspect to blessed are the pure in heart. There's there's another layer to it, and that second layer is a single-mindedness of purity, an understanding that uh, in single-mindedness, the, the, the Greek word, here's where it can it can mean something a little bit different than just no impurities found in there. There's an understanding of unmixed feelings or, or a singular devotion. Some other uh, synonyms that you could use, focus, concentration, sincerity of heart. The idea here is that the deepest devotion in my heart is is singular. It's not splintered. It's not going in a lot of different directions. It isn't influenced by a lot of of different pressures coming to bear on my life, but rather uh, I don't have mixed emotions. I don't have divided loyalties. I have given my heart, all of my emotions, all of my will to the glory of God. And so Kent Hughes, who's a commentator uh, on the the Sermon on the Mount, says it's the totality of our ability to think, feel, and decide. In other words, it's seeing all of life through the lens of my relationship with God? Do I have that kind of single-mindedness in my life? When I approach my work, when I approach my family relationships, I approach my marriage, you can fill in the blank any, any way you want to, friends. Is there a purity of heart that says, I, I have a single-minded devotion to God through the Lord Jesus? And no matter what else happens, that devotion is going to dictate Everything that I think and everything that I do in my life. It's not Jesus and this or some of this and Jesus. It's simply my relationship with Christ. Everything else falls under that umbrella. So how I spend my money, how I spend my time, what I think about my sexuality, what I think about uh, how I vote in an election, what I think about how I take care of my house, what I think about the way I treat my employees. Again, fill in the blank any way you want to. It all comes under the lordship. Of Jesus Christ. I was reading again this week and was reminded that uh, before the Civil War broke out, uh, Robert E. Lee, who was then a colonel in the United States Army, was offered the command of the Army of the Potomac as a colonel. There are a lot of people that got passed over, but when, when, uh, when Lincoln was talking to his advisors about who would be best fit should war break out, the same name kept coming up Robert E. Lee, Robert E. Lee, Robert E. Lee, and he was offered the command of the Army of the Potomac, and he turned it down. And he said, under any other circumstance, I, I would ex- humbly accept this position. And, and Lee, quite frankly, if you looked at his political views, if you really study his life, he, he really looked a little bit more like a northerner than a southerner. But he said this, my first and primary allegiance is to Virginia, and I, and I have to stand with Virginia. Now, we could debate all day long about, about how that played out and whether he should have had that allegiance or not, but the point is, is that he had a singular focus that he looked at the world a certain way and that nothing no matter what was offered to him no no matter what the prize was if it, if he had to sacrifice that singular focus he wasn't going to do it and i have to ask myself and i, I already know the answer <laughs> why do i not have that singular focus of heart in my life where are the areas of my life where i say okay lord i'm going to follow you but only this far and after that the 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 purity stops and, and I get divided. Other influences come in and have more of a bearing on my life. You see, friends, this is, this is a journey. All of these Beatitudes are, are an opportunity for growth in our lives. So remember what we said from the very first Sunday, if you were here, when we, when we did the introduction to the Beatitudes. All of these are attainable through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God, but none of them will be obeyed completely in this life. And so we, we cannot be discouraged, nor can we be presumptuous. But we need to be challenged for the opportunity of growth. And when I look at this purity of heart, in particular, the single-mindedness. So you know what? Every decision I'm going to make is going to be based on the glory of God. If, if, I, could, if I could bat 500 in that, I'd, I'd, I'd feel like I'd made a lot of progress. So how then do we, do we go in that direction? Because we have to remember something. When you're talking about the moral aspect, you're talking about kind of the behavioral aspect of purity. And you're talking about the single-mindedness of purity. I think we have to understand that the two build on each other. It's kind of almost, you know, which came first, the, the chicken or the egg? See, an undivided heart that's loyal to God is going to naturally result in morality in my lifestyle, right? If I have a heart that's, that, that's given to God, I don't have any, any divided loyalties, any mixed emotions there. It's going to change the way I live, But you know what? Following God's instructions in righteousness and the way I live is actually going to build devotion in my life. So it's a yes and, it's not an either or. But it is a tall order. It is a challenge, I believe, for every disciple because we can forget. We can become fearful. We can fall back into those bad habits. We, we We can become... You know, uh, emotional eaters on, on a lot of different levels, maybe might be a, a way to say it. I've told you a story before about the woman in North Carolina who was out of town for a week and came back and had forgotten to feed her pet boa constrictor before she left. And when she took it out of the cage, it was hungry, and it was and it was pretty big, and it was wrapping itself around her, and it was going to have a snack. And the police came, and they were trying to get the snake off of her, and they were thinking they were going to have to use violence, and she pleaded with them, please, please, please don't kill my snake. This this is my pet. This is my baby. And I think sometimes, if I really were going to be honest, we're going to talk about honesty in a second, I think what I would say to God is, Lord, you know the truth is I actually love this more than I love you. And I don't know what to do about that. I don't know where to go. It, it, It seems to continue to control my life in this area or in that area. And friends, I think that's actually the right prayer to pray, not because you're happy you're in that spot, but because that's a depth of honesty that God can deal with. (laughs) We can work with that as as the Lord's response to that. So, So how do we grow in purity of heart? And the word I want you to remember this morning is honesty. It begins with honesty with God. So often my prayer life is just, you know, kind of clicking off the things that I know I need to pray for, people in church that that aren't doing well or friends or family members or praying for our kids or our grandkids. How often do I just sit down with God and say, God, can I just talk to you about my heart right now? It's not in the best place it's ever been, and you already know that. So it's not like I'm telling you, you know, this information that you hadn't heard of. I believe purity of heart starts with honesty towards God and pouring out the truth of our heart's condition. But I also think it includes honesty with others. I believe it's very important that as disciples of Jesus, we take uh, the words of James chapter 5 very seriously. In James chapter 5, the brother of Jesus says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you can be healed. And I don't think he's talking about just a physical healing there. If you don't have a Christian in your life that you can go to and say, let me tell you what I did or what I thought or what I said, no matter how bad it is, and they won't pray for you and love you and encourage you and, yes, maybe offer you some correction and, and and maybe say some hard things to you, if you don't have that person in your life, you need to find them. And I'll help you find them if you don't have that person in your life. I don't want anybody at Green Tree Community Church, I don't want anybody I know to not have that kind of friend in their life. You need that person. Because when we confess our sins to one another, when we when we share with one another about our greed, about our immorality, about our, about our fear, about our lack of faith—whatever the case may be—our gossip, our anger, our lying—we get it out of our system. And now that we get it out of our system. We get it on the table, and now we don't have to worry about self-righteousness. We don't have to play pretend anymore. Remember when Katie was a little girl, we'd play pretend and we'd go to tea parties, right? And we'd get all dressed up and go to tea party. Why was there never any tea in the teacup? <laughs> I had to fake the sipping noise, right? And she'd pour me more, and I'd drink, and I didn't. Why is there no tea in the teacup? Because we're playing pretend. Friends, I don't want to play pretend with Jesus. I don't want to play pretend with purity of heart. To be honest with God, to be honest with one another, to be able to confess our sins to one another. And then the last thing I've said is ask lots of questions. And that might sound a little bit goofy, but I'm a big believer in this. I'm a big believer in finding somebody who's older than me in the faith, which is getting a little bit harder <laughs> as the years go on. There's still plenty of them out there. And, and asking them lots of questions. What happened when you crossed this pathway? What, when, when this stage of life came upon you? When you, you know, whatever the case may be. Hey, tell me what it was like when this happened. And, and just being a, a, somebody who's just going to dig and dig and dig until he gets some good advice, some good answers. Have older disciples in your life. And ask them lots of questions, because look at the promise. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will what? They will see God. Now, just like purity, I think, had two different aspects, I think the promise is twofold as well. The first is that we will see God today, right here, right now, at this moment, in this life. I don't mean that you're going to have a vision and the heavens are going to part and you're going to go, hey, there's God up there. What I do mean is that we're going to see God in his word. We're going to see God in His creation. We're going to see God in the experiences of our life so that we don't measure the experiences of our life by whether or not we feel good when they're done or not, but rather what God was trying to do in our heart and our soul to bring His purity of character into our lives. We're going to see the experience of our lives and then we're going to see God in others. We're actually going to have a sensitivity of the spirit that that God shows himself to us and others. Cindy met a woman this week, and I can't tell you where she met her or what the context was, and you'll understand why in a minute. Sounds odd. Cindy met a woman on Friday afternoon, and they got into a conversation, and the woman was Middle Eastern and heritage, and about 10 minutes into the conversation, which is in a very public place, this woman leaned in very close to Cindy, and she almost said in a whisper, are you a Christian? And Cindy said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And she said, you love Jesus. And Cindy said, yeah, I love Jesus. And she kind of looked around a little bit. Cindy's telling me the story. She said, I'm, I'm a Muslim who's a Christian. I can't tell my family because they would kill me. St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> not Lebanon, not Saudi Arabia, St. Louis, Missouri. And they began to have this fascinating conversation But there was something in my wife's heart and life, which I get to see all the time because I get to live with her, that showed this woman that God was present. Friends, you never know when that is going to be needed in somebody else's life. This woman can't go to church. She can't keep her Bible in her apartment because if her parents stop by and they see it, 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 it's going to be a bad deal. She literally has to be a Christian in many respects, by herself. And so, Friday afternoon, God said, her, well, let me show you a sister in, in the faith. Let me, show, let me show you somebody else who's like you. We will see God in others, and sometimes that's exactly what is needed. But then the ultimate promise, we will see Him face to face. It won't always be by faith, this relationship we have with God the purity of heart won't always be a goal in our lives or a a, a target that we're after in our growth and our relationship with Him. Someday our our purity of heart will be perfect and it will be unblemished and it will be the most beautiful thing in the world. Not because of anything we've done, not, not because of any effort on our part, but simply because we're in the presence of God. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this challenge in this verse, for me personally. Uh, my uh, devotion can get so easily divided, and I can run after so many different things that I think are going to, to please me or make me feel better, make me a better person. And Lord, the, all those things are are. Their immorality because they ignore you. Father, I thank you that the Lord Jesus taught us about this pathway and that the character that He wants to build in us, part of that is a purity of heart. And yes, there is a morality to that, absolutely. But it begins with an undivided devotion, no mixed loyalties but simply trusting in you and seeing all of our life and, and all of that's around us through the lens of your glory and your grace and your mercy to us. Father, give us purity of heart. It's a passion for it. May we strive for it with every fiber of our being in the grace of the Lord Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.